and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Dennis Drew. Now, Dennis is a founding member and keyboardist of the band 10,000 Maniacs. They're still going strong. They're still putting out great music. They're touring. They just didn't stop after Natalie Merchant left the band back in the early 90s. In fact, their current lead singer, the fantastic Mary Ramsey, has been in the band for over 25 years now. Dennis gives us a history lesson of the Maniacs, how Natalie came into the band, working with her and her departure, because she left basically at the the height of the band's success with their MTV Unplugged, Um, just getting Mary involved into the, the band as well and some of the ups and downs of the band. Dennis has a fascinating, uh, I guess you can call it an everyday job, away from the Maniacs. He talks about that, and he was a fabulous interview, and I hope you enjoy it. And helping me relive my youth tonight is Dennis Drew from 10,000 Maniacs. Dennis, how are you tonight? I'm good, Noel. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for doing this. But, um, yeah. Yeah, when I first discovered you guys, um, it was at the New York Music Awards back. I think it was like 1989. I uh, I was I was there as a guest because I was <laughs> I was a big Debbie Gibson fan. So I was there for Debbie Gibson and <laughs> and yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with Debbie Gibson. No, of course not. Um, Debbie Gibson and Living Color. So, you know, it was... Oh, sure. Well, that's quite a diverse... You have quite a diverse taste. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's great. You should, you should have, you know, you shouldn't like all of one, one type of music. You know, you need variety. So I, that's when I first discovered you guys. Um, I think you guys won... It was a songwriting award? That, that... We won, yeah, we did. We won Songwriters of the Year. Yeah, and it was... That's when I discovered you, you guys, and you know the album uh, "Blind Man Zoo," which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, so yeah, this is this is right now the the uh, what is it the thirtieth anniversary. anniversary? Yeah, yeah. This, so this, we're gonna start playing more songs from that. Oh, that's year. great. That's great. Um, do you guys like? I know it's been. I don't want to you know date you guys, but you guys have had all these anniversaries coming up. When when you do like your tours, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Uh, do you kind of like do, hey, we're going to play this album from front to back? Would you kind of like do stuff like that? No, nah, we haven't done the front to back thing. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, we haven't done that. Uh, part of it is that, um, well, Mary's the singer now, right. so things are a little different. Yeah. And, God, some of those songs were written by a 16-year-old girl, so they're, you know, right. yeah. and, and they don't sound the same when you change the keys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially on guitar, so. Right. Uh, we haven't done all of that, but we play a lot of those songs, and we are going to play more of uh, Blind Man Zoo this, uh, this, this coming year. Uh, that's great. That's one of my, you know, favorite albums off you guys. Um, now, going way back how um how did you guys form i know because you guys were like kind of musicians from or young musicians from all different kinds of bands right well sort of uh you know we actually started around college radio um uh steve gustison and i steve is our bass player we met in high school so we've been friends since uh 1972 and uh which is kind of a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were in homeroom together, uh, and uh, there was no A, B, C, D for Drew. I guess there were no E, Fs, because he was right behind me. Right. 
so uh, we met there and just became friends and then uh and uh, we, we we did different things and bummed around and ended up at a the local college community college and, and started a radio station there uh back when uh, jimmy carter opened up uh, the airwaves and right. put on low power uh, college radio stations it was really the heyday of college radio late 70s and stuff so we started a college radio station that attracted all the young hipsters and all the, all the fun people because we were playing the gang of four and right. the talking heads and you know, all kinds of new wave or punk rock music whatever you want to call it uh, mixed with uh, Jimi Hendrix and the Grateful Dead so it was quite a what quite a scene and um, through that we met Rob Buck uh, who had a, who had a band um, his drummer went to jail so uh, he was looking for other people in the band right. to join the band and then his uh, uh, there was a young lady that 16 year old that was enrolled in college because she graduated early and she came down with an arm full of David Bowie and Roxy Music Records and that was Natalie right. uh, and we met her at the college radio station too so it all happened around college radio and about a whole bunch of people that liked uh, cool music and uh, we started that band Still Life in 1981 and right about now I think our first gig was February 24th 1981 as Still Life with me and Rob and Steve and Natalie and um, we had another drummer then but uh, that was the band Right now, um, what was your, like your initial reaction to like Natalie? I know her songs and this her voice. What 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 did you guys think about her? Uh, well, it was kind of like holy cow! <laughs> this is a little powerhouse. This is a a brilliant person, and and the same thing with Rob. You know, when you're in the room with Rob, you're going, um, what <laughs> are you playing? You know, he was like a combination of. Robert Fripp and Robert Quine and, and all these weird uh, no-wave guitar players. And Natalie was this indecipherable poet. Uh, we said, this is Steve and I, are, who are pretty regular guys. In fact, we're really the business guys in the group. Uh, said, holy cow, we can't let this go. This is something right here. These two are unbelievable. And we got to figure out how to make this work. And uh, I mean, I don't mean to be mercenary about it, but it right. didn't take a genius to figure out that these were two geniuses. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, um, we just tried to keep it together uh, with them. And then, uh, you know, Still Life was kind of a messy, hippie band where we would, uh, you know, drink Valerian root tea and <laughs> kava kava tea and right. rose, Hawaiian rosewood seeds and be <laughs> all messed up. Until we met John Lombardo, who was in another band that was kind of a new wave cover band, but really did songs. And, and John was the guy that really helped us form songs and, and become songwriters and was really Natalie's biggest uh, editor and collaborator. Right. And you, you collaborated with her with, with quite a few songs, you know, a couple, couple of my favorites. Uh, you know, obviously Trouble Me, but uh, Plan Obolescence is like probably my favorite song of the few guys. Solid, yes, I'm too polite. 
that, that whole that whole EP is great. Um, well, I like it because there's a you know there's certain songs that we do that are really proletarian poetry. You know, it's right. working class poetry, and I think Tension is a song like that about her grandparents and about their life and uh you know the local post will list your friends in order of disappearance you know and just watching her grandparents age and that mm -hmm. life and then when you come to a uh, blind man zoo right. and a song like dust bowl days which i think is on is fantastically powerful i should know they follow me through the store with these toys I can't afford. Kids, take them back, you know. Better than that, dolls they talk, astronauts, TV games, airplanes they don't understand. And how can I explain? I try and try. Tried and tried, but I can't say. My youngest girl has bad fever, sure. All night with alcohol to cool and rub it down. Ruby, I'm tired, trying get some. I've tried and tried, but I can't. 
uh, and then you go, and then a song from our first record, Maddox Table Company. You know, uh, those are the the blue collar poetry that uh, she wrote and that we championed at that time. Um, that I think is is I'm really proud of. Early on, like when you were fighting, obviously to get like the record deals and everything like that, and you were you know touring, was it? Were you kind of like protective of her, you know, because she was you know pretty much like I wouldn't call her a baby, but she was young. So was it mm-hmm. kind of like all like big brothers to her when you guys were touring? Yeah, I mean there was a lot of that big right. brotherness uh, to her because first of all she's about five two, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and she was. Uh, bit younger than us but she's a tough girl she's a, you know a smart girl and right. you know and i don't know we might have protected her we might have been afraid of her i don't know <laughs> right both a little bit of both yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but now like you, you guys uh, you know a bunch of bunch of cover songs you guys you know are known for one of them was obviously t-stream Darkness. There are the beast tears 
get to the other ones a little bit later now how did you guys decide on which like cover songs you were going to do you know decisions are, are made somewhat in the moment i think um right. what happened was the actual story with peace train is we were going down to ithaca to play a bar uh the haunt okay in ithaca uh you ever hear of it uh no no yeah, uh, it was a f pretty famous place. Played a lot of reggae music. For some reason, Cornell has a big reggae influence down there. Okay. It did certainly in 1985 or 86 right. or 86. So in the fall of 86, we go down there to play. And I don't know, we were just looking at some fun songs to do. And I don't know how it came up. We were talking, because uh, we all like Cat Stevens. Right. Uh, you know, and, and Peace Train came up. And we thought of it as a reggae song, you know. Boy, this would be fun to play because we love the we love the message of the song. Yeah, right. Because this was the age of Reagan, and we all hated Ronald Reagan, <laughs> right? And, and we hated the you know what was going on uh, with Reaganism and the whole thing. And uh, anything that sounded like a, a, a protest was good good for us. And we thought Peace Train was a protest song. So, uh, 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 I don't know, it just happened one mm -hmm. night when we were, I don't know, we probably, Steve and I and some other guys were out drinking, and then we came back to rehearsals of us to Peace Train. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, um, not really that hard a song, except there's yeah. 35 verses to it, so right. that made it tough. So we, we, we played it once at the Haunt, and, uh, you know, it was really messy, and it was more of a reggae jam groove thing that we did with the Chief Navy did three or four verses and it was terrible <laughs> so we're, we're in classic record company fashion we made our album in my tribe and with peter asher and we give it to the record company and they say guess what they said they said we don't hear a hit right we don't hear a hit you know i mean right you've heard this from every freaking band you've yeah ever been around. <laughs> so we don't hear a hit we, we want a cover come up with a cover it's like oh, really so mm -hmm. Peter Asher goes, have you done any covers lately? And we said, well, about three months ago, we did Peace Train at the Haunt. And he goes, Peace Train, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it. And that's basically what happened. Right, and then um, you guys had a, you guys take that off the album because of the whole uh, Cat Stevens kind of converting to Islam, correct? 
Well, not because it converted Islam. That, oh, the, the whole uh, Salman Rushdie yeah, thing, Salman right? Rushdie. Yeah, right. So it was the Salman Rushdie thing and the fact that we weren't that married to that song. I mean, that song was kind of forced upon us. Right, so right. it wasn't like this was a staple of our repertoire and it meant so super much to us. And, and the fact that this guy is out there, that the whole situation was with Salman Rushdie and all this censorship and jihad and all this right. stuff was like, all right, let's fatwas, just, yeah. let's stop fatwas, right? Let's just yeah. stop this. Done. So that's what it was. And uh, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, he wrote us a letter. Okay. His manager. Uh, they called us and stuff, and, and he said that, uh, you know, he told us that it wasn't, he really wasn't advocating for anybody's murder. He just was trying to be faithful to his uh, imams and the people that he uh, respected within the faith and stuff, and he, he gave us an explanation. and. Right. We said, whatever, man, you're a great artist, but we're taking the right, we're, you know, we're done with this song, you know, it's all right, you're cool with us, just, you know, as long as you, you're not really calling for anybody's murder, right. you believe when you say that, and that's cool, so, uh, um, and he needed that kind of, uh, those answers in order to, I think, get some visas again and get back in here, I don't know, but anyway, uh, it, was a, it was a weird situation. Right, yeah, I definitely can imagine, yeah, because I'm sure he, he lost a ton of uh, fans as a result of that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said before, one of my favorite songs is, is Trouble Me. Um, and That's I, Spider-Man too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I know um, Natalie, obviously, that was sort of about her father, right, who was, who was ill at the time? Um, yeah, I believe so. I mean, she never said that, but he okay. had had... Uh, he had had some heart issues uh, very recently before that uh, uh, we wrote that song. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, was that an, like, an easy song for you guys to, to come up with? Uh, you know, a lot of the best songs happen quickly. <laughs> quickly. Because of tears Let 
during that like late 80s early 90s of you know churning out like album after album but they're they're all like really good albums it wasn't like just you know quantity over quality it was both Uh quantity and quality (laughs) 
Well, well, thank you. You know, I mean, we did take, we you know that we were, you could, you, you could see the pattern. I think it was uh, 83 for, I, well, we, we, you know, we did the EP and right. 82 and then 83, then 85, and then 87, and then 89. And then, uh, then we did a compilation in 90, and then uh, um, 92 was uh, our time in Eden. So we, we took enough time in between, but we weren't constantly. Uh, we weren't constantly, and one of the things I remember, um, I remember we, uh, you know, there was a period of time when uh, Jerry, or Augustiniak, broke his shoulder. Oh, wow. And we had some dates uh, planned, and so Max Weinberg from Springsteen's right. band came came and played drums with us, okay. uh, and uh, you know we, we knew Natalie was going to leave and everything. We talked to him about it and stuff. He says, says, well, you guys got it. He goes, you guys are all songwriters. He says you got all these people contributing. That's why you, he said this is why you keep making these records where there's all songs on them, real songs. And uh, uh, I think that's what what worked for us is that it wasn't just one guy writing the songs for everybody. Uh, we all uh, contributed that way, you know. Jerry wrote some great songs, so uh, it was good stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, we worked as a team. Yeah, and you know, I think as a result of like everyone contributing, working as a team, you really can't define what Ten Thousand Maniacs really is, because they all every song sounds different, every album sounds different. So it's like there's something for everybody, you know, for the listeners, for each, for the band. It's great. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think we fall into certain channels, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we. Uh, I think you can tell which songs are more keyboard based and yeah. which are Rob's. So you can tell which songs are Rob's songs, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, that was that was really worked to our benefit that everybody played. Everybody loved each other and was comfortable enough with each other's ideas that we could we could work with them. There wasn't a big ego in the band. You know, people may think that that was Natalie or something, but it wasn't. She, you know. She never sang at rehearsal. Okay. Uh, we never had a PA at rehearsal up until uh, I don't know, maybe maybe in the late '90s, maybe in the mid, maybe for our time in Eden. But I don't. We didn't. Uh, we just played. We played everything, every song we ever did. We did completely instrumentally, the complete arrangement, right. and we would record it on a boombox, <laughs> and she would take it home and write lyrics to it. Wow. And then we would and we would never hear it until we did went to the studio. We would kind of hear it, right? Because a lot of the songs we would then do live before we ever recorded them. But we wouldn't, and we would do the songs live without real lyrics. Many, many of those songs we did live. We did these are days for probably two months before we had any lyrics to it, hmm. and she would babble over it and do it. Right. And it was actually a very different arrangement. Uh, but uh, uh, she we, she never really sang at rehearsal. She sat in a corner and, and listened to the music and wrote lyrics that way. Did you did you think that was strange or you just that was just I didn't normal. know anything else. Right, I would say that's just normal for you guys then. Okay. Yeah, I mean you know we were uh, you know I mean one of the things that you know ended up as our demise was the mm -hmm. fact that we were a bunch of guys smoking joints, <laughs> drinking whiskey and beers and sitting around playing and she right. sat in the corner and wrote lyrics right <laughs> uh and that's basically the way it was and you know and and it worked out uh i mean she would say 
do that again, do the chorus again, or let's do a double chorus. Like, okay, we don't even know it was in our mind, but he says, yeah, that works, that's fine. You know, we need a, we need a better bridge, we need something else here, okay. So we'd sit around, we'd think of a better bridge there. Uh, but mostly, the music was the music, and she put the lyrics on later, and then we massaged it often. Okay. While we were touring, we massaged the songs into what they were. Okay. <laughs> so was there ever any, like, kind of, like, you know, resistance from her when you guys would kind of, like, you know, massage it a little bit, or no? No. Okay. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> we're not stupid. Right. <laughs> we got, when we, when you get to a point where it's basically the song, yeah. then it's the singer's song. And it has to be comfortable for the singer to sing. Right. Right? You know, it's not like, you, you know, we learned a long time ago. Drummers drum, singers sing, yeah. guitar players play guitar. Right. And the more, you don't tell everybody else what to do. You yeah. know, at the beginning, you could say, oh, yeah, do this beat. Or, you know, or, you know, or, or, or you know, you know, or kind of go this way with the rhythm or something or, or play it this way. At the very beginning, when you're starting to write a song, but as, you, as it happens, it takes on a life of its own. And at that point, for us, you gave it to Natalie, you give it to the singer, you give it to Mary, and, and they take it. And if they say, I'm going to double this, you fucking double that. Right. <laughs> you know, if they say cut this in half, you cut it in half at that point. I mean, maybe you try it and even try it live, and it just doesn't work. And they know it too. I mean, you know, everybody yeah. knows it, really. Right. You know, so as long as you're honest with each other, it's it's... It's not that hard. Right. Now, when um, Natalie announced that she was leaving the band, did that kind of catch you guys by surprise? No. No? She told us uh, long before that. Right. Now, it was like, it, she, she was, you guys were going to work on like another album and do Unplugged. Mm -hmm. So during that time, there wasn't any tension. You knew that she was going to do, you know, this, this, and this, and that would be it. That would be it, right? Well, there was always tension. Uh, okay. You know, she, you know, we never knew when she was going to leave. Right. <laughs> we always figured she always basically was going to leave. Right, right. Uh, uh, and every every big wig in the record company and every management type person and everybody wanted her to be a solo artist. Right. Uh, and uh, we knew that. So we knew it was going to happen. Um, and it just, she basically left when she was 30. Okay. Uh, and that seems pretty much like what her plan was. Right. And, uh, um, and she, we knew that before, before our time in Eden. So hence the title, our time in Eden. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and these are the days. And if you listen to that record, that's what that record's about. Some of the songs are about that. Right. And, um, like these are days, um, I think like every high school prom uses that as their like, yeah. theme song. And I think that was like my wife's too. When I had a senior prom.
like annoyed at the fact not, not that she left but the record companies kind of wanted her to leave and you guys were you know a cohesive unit did you think that would be the end of the band as a result you know artist, artistically we were a co- cohesive unit but as I said um, uh, we were different personalities right and we were uh, uh, we were four men uh, that partied a lot more than Natalie did and she got pretty tired of that okay. uh, and it was uh, and we partied we don't we seem like we're a bunch of really nice guys but we we were on the road a lot and we partied a lot harder than Natalie ever partied I mean we'd be up in front of the bus smoking joints and she'd be in the back teaching herself German <laughs> you know so right. she's you know she's a different breed and uh, <clears throat> she's you know, it was the tension uh, was there, not not artistically when we worked on records, but more so with the with the touring and right. stuff, and then the being around each other all the time and being such different personalities, right. uh, and uh, so you know when uh, our wives were going to come out on tour with us, we had to tell Natalie, and then Natalie would fly to the next gig and not not be on the bus or hang out with us. Okay. And so there was a lot of so she just kind of drifted away from us, um, and our lifestyle and the way we were. And uh, I get that. Um, you know, we did drink too much, we did party too much, and we were. I'm not saying we were bad lifestyle. I mean, we were right. not cocaine guys at no. all or anything. Right. Bad, you know. You so, you were, you were band touring. I mean, I guess that's what you do, right? <laughs> what happened so um it wasn't a surprise but i think she always 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 planned on going her own way because that's who she is and that's how she is and that's how she's been ever since then she's she produces her own records you know she fires managers (laughs) she does everything she's a very strong person a very smart person uh and uh very strong and knows exactly what she wants to do and she does it and uh, we have a great business relationship. She's been very good to us right. uh, as far as our business has been concerned for all these years ever since then. Yeah. So, so there's no complaints, and she's been very generous, too. But, um, you know, she did what she wanted to do. Doesn't look back, right. ever. Yeah. When was the last time, like, you talked to her? <clears throat> oh, well, we did... Uh, you know, business-wise. Right, uh, but like just like a, you know, kind of like a personal conversation with her. Oh, I haven't had a personal conversation with her since 1993. Okay. <laughs> right. No, I, I saw her once, I think, in uh, uh, probably uh, when my son was in high school, probably about eight years ago. Um, but no, we do, we do business together, but we're not, we don't do the other stuff. I right, don't know right. what we would, you know, um, I've sent her some, you know, notes on things, and we've done business, and she's been very good about that, and everything's been good. But it's that kind of a relationship, and, and it's weird. But that's that's the way she is, more than the way we are. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, know, she, you know, we're regular guys. She's the genius. So right. I don't fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. Geniuses is the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then the uh, NTV Unplugged, you know, show came came about. Um, how did you guys get involved with that? Well, uh, our management told them we were going to break up, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be the end of the Maniacs. And they said, 
oh fuck, we better do an unplugged because we did the first unplugged. We did one of the first unplugs ever. Right. Jules Shear, he was the host. I remember that. Yeah. So uh, no, they went to him and said, you know, we got this new record coming out, and uh, you know it's going to be big, and um, you know uh, you should do the, you should have them do unplugged because it's going to be their last record. They said, what is going to be the last record? Yeah, yeah, I mean they'll put out Our Time in Eden, and then you guys can put out Unplugged, it'll be their swan song, and then blah, blah, blah. So Bob Krasnow now put that together, and, and that's what we did. You know, business decision, good thing. Uh, big project, brought a lot of extra musicians in, had a lot of fun, met David Byrne, hung out with David Byrne. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. You know, he was, he's on, you know, he was on the Unplugged thing, and then we did a bunch of songs. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was funny. He came in and wanted to do... Uh, Graham Parsons song, Ooh, Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, know that song, right? Right. And uh, <clears throat> Natalie said, no, I'm not going to do this song. We're going to do Dallas by Jimmy Dale Gilmore, which was another country song. And, and David was into country music at the time. So we did that, and we did Dolly Parton, and we did, um, oh, Let the Mystery Be. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. And then, of course, we did Because of the Night on that record, too. But uh, yeah, so he, uh, so I remember her saying no to him about Las Vegas or something, and she, you know, was not in the room at the time. And we said, you know, sorry, David, you know, but she's in charge. And he goes, yeah, I know how that is. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so it was Natalie's idea for a because tonight. Yeah.
better. Yeah, she loves Patti Smith. She was a Patti Smith fan for sure. I don't know that she was a Springsteen fan, but she was a big Patti Smith fan. I mean, big feminist, of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Patti Smith. I mean, what what young rock and roll girl doesn't love Patti Smith? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, I mean, it's it's probably, obviously, and you're most known for that, that, that song, that, that your cover, and it's, it's probably one of the best covers of any song ever. It's, 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 it's a fabulous version. Okay, good. I'm glad you picked that way. Have you heard our, our playing favorites version? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard, I heard that's uh, great too. Yeah. I uh, yeah, it's a good version. It's a good version. Well, it's a good fucking song. It is. You know? yeah. so, I mean, Springsteen's version's great. It's you know, it is. It's a it's a good song. Yeah. So it wasn't hard to ruin that one. <laughs> uh, we tried, but we couldn't. Right. Do it. Yeah. But it's um, a little out of tune, but. Natalie's very passionate on it, yeah. and uh, I mean, the trouble was is we didn't get to rock it. We didn't get to play electric guitar on it, which I, which is why we did it again on the on the playing, playing favorites. favorites right. Really, you know, I wish I wish we had a chance to have Rob do it electric, but um, yeah, no, you know, it's a good song, and uh, you know, we um, we picked some good covers in our life, so it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when uh, you guys you know brought Mary and and did more than this. Great rocking music song. I could feel at the time there was no way of knowing falling leaves in the night. We can see where they're blowing as free as the wind. Hopefully, learning why the sea.
you know, the Smiths, um, Everyday Like Sunday. I mean, you, you picked some really uh, great, you know, new wave songs to cover. Yeah, we did. You know, we've been doing, uh, we've had a long run here for the last three years. We we pull out uh, Just Like Heaven by The Cure. Oh, wow, okay. We kill that. Oh, we killed that motherfucker. <laughs> uh, it's been really good, good to us, and we've done that. But we've also had a great time doing tremendous, interesting folk covers. Uh, we did uh, In the Quiet Morning by uh, Mimi Farina. I don't know if you ever heard this song. No. Fantastic song. And then we've done a great uh, version of Who Knows Where the Time Goes, okay. uh, the Sandy Denny song. It's really good. That's a really good song. And, uh, yeah, we like doing that stuff when we can um, and we did that whole record of English folk music, right? Uh, uh, yeah, which is all covers. So that's uh, we, we, yeah, we like doing all that stuff. Yeah, and, and some of that was from the Mighty Wallop, right? Well, well, you guys, Mighty Wallop is the thing that I did with Jeff and Steve. Yeah, they they've got their own things there, but no, the the um, I don't think we did any. The songs I just mentioned were not Mighty Wallop things. Uh, and Muddy Wallop, we did some Tom Waits and some okay. weird things. We did so we did a lot of um, Fountains of Wayne and okay. shit like that. Right. You know, Mighty Wallop. But we did a lot of well, gold and songs from music from the motion picture, a lot of Mighty Wallop songs. Right, yeah. I don't love you too. Those songs are Mighty Wallop things that right. I, I put together with those guys in the late nineties or when Rob died, they were all about Rob dying a lot a lot of those songs. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was difficult, but that you guys just decided to take a break following Rob, right? Passing for a little bit. Well, we had to, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's devastating, devastating stuff, and you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a difficult period of time leading up to that, and then uh, when that happened. What do you do? And we made some mistakes after that, but uh, you know, and uh, survivor's guilt. And uh, we had young families, you know. So right. Rob dies. My my daughter's eight, and my son's five. And it wasn't hard to just say, "Fuck," you know. Let's take three years and be a family man, and uh, and and spend a lot of time writing in the basement, you know, with Jeff and, and Steve and stuff, but mostly staying home which was something i hadn't done for a very very long time uh so it was good you know it wasn't good that rob died but i did get to be home uh for a while yeah that's that's what happened there and you know we tried to sing about it and write about it yeah. i did yeah and i got to write lyrics from the first time and uh to me, that music from the motion picture was the motion picture of my life and our life, and that was that's why I, I wanted to call it that. And the songs are about what we had experienced uh, from Natalie leaving and Rob dying through uh, our own fights with, uh, um, you know, right. alcohol and right. food. And, I mean, I went up to 340 pounds. Wow. You know, and now I weigh 220, but, you know, so it's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, wow, life happens. And they're not always good things that happen, but uh, um, music from the motion picture talks about a lot of that stuff. And I'm as proud of that record as any record we've ever done because it was very cathartic for me because I wrote most of the songs on that and I wrote most of the lyrics on that record. And uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, 
because of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, I, it's it is it is definitely a powerful. powerful yeah, album. it's not that good a record, but it's got a, <laughs> it means a lot to me. Right now, I mean, um, it's it's a passion you know a passion project, and it's you know nothing wrong with that. I mean, just because yeah. you might not have a hit on on the albums, I mean, it's you know, it's it's not you know, revered by the fans. Mm-hmm. Gold is a great rec- great song about Rob. It's 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 a song we wrote uh, almost immediately after he died, uh, before he died. Right. Uh, Gold is the song we were. We went. Jeff and I went down to the hospital to see him, and went back to my basement and basically wrote that song uh, in two days. And uh, it's his honest and pure as kids uh, for emotional the way it felt yeah so I'm that's a statement I'm right. of gold don't spend it on the wrong thing every moment something you should hold don't spend it on the wrong thing how can you go can you go how can you go can you go how can you go can you go go away you're caught in the moment it feels like a day the fight's just beginning don't give it away A breath's like an ocean Your mind starts to stray Motives forgotten It all goes away You're real in protection Your shield is one Conceals imperfection by giving it up. Come on and give it all or give it up. 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 Give it all or give it up.
you know, once, you know, after Natalie left and you had, you know, Mary was in the, in the band already, was that, like, just a natural progression for her to, you know, slide in the yeah, front? Well, yeah, sure it was. You know, Mary was, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a family. So right. your older brother gets pissed off at you and he quits the band, John, and uh, he goes off and finds Mary and starts mm. his own duo with John and Mary. And we invite them back. I mean, they opened for us. They went on tour with us in England. And they toured around the country with us, you know, opening for us. Uh, and then uh, would come out and play with us. And Mary would play with us. She's on Unplugged. She's the violin player on Unplugged. Singer. She sings Trouble Me. She's the backup singer on Trouble Me on Unplugged. Right. Uh, so we, they just came. It was just family stuff, you know. John got pissed, so we left. But. We weren't that pissed, so we could come back and yeah, play and right. that whole thing, and so it was very natural. Yeah, now, very natural for Mary to come and play. Right, and you know it was. I, I thought it was seamless. You know, she, I thought she, you know, was was great. Uh, you know, definitely a worthy replacement for Natalie. Was there was there any like nerves, you know, for her to replace like basically I want someone as big and powerful as uh, Natalie? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was really hard on Mary. Very hard on Mary, and and difficult on her. I mean, people still, still, <laughs> yell, "I love you, Natalie." Oh God, I mean, during shows, I mean, they still do. Yeah, I mean, she's people been in the band still see her after the show, right? And say, "I love you, Natalie." Oh boy. Uh, and she laughs it off and deals with it. It was harder at the beginning, and right. it was very tense. That. The Geffen record, Love Among the Ruins, which is a far better record than anybody gives us credit for. That's a really good fucking record. Um, that pressure was really intense, very intense, and uh, very intense for all of us. And it, it killed Rob almost. I think that record and that first press flat and, and, and trying to overcome that legacy of Natalie and nobody giving us any fucking credit really tough really tough on Rob and, and tough on Mary and John uh, you know me and Steve kind of drank it off right. and survived Rob drank it off and didn't survive uh, and that's uh, some great music there but a dark chapter at the same time right I mean yeah because I mean there, there are I mean mm -hmm. even with my eyes closed I love that song Rainy Day I mean there's some really powerful songs you know cover more than this which you know would you know hit the charts but yeah I mean that album I think it's like you mentioned it's it's very underrated Love Among the Ruins which was which is was one we collaborated with Jules Shear on right what a great line you know I mean you know what pull together by the lack of love you know Love Among the Ruins man I mean uh, big star I love big star which is a big star on that record yeah and yeah I, I mean, called up hmm? I was gonna say you know he, he wrote you know songs for the Bengals and Cindy Lauper and stuff he, he, uh -huh. was, he was he was a big you know songwriter yeah yeah no I know Jules is great great guy and uh, those are two great he wrote two songs with uh, Shining Light and uh, Love Among the Rules
good time. I called up uh, just one of the days we were working on record songs, and John and Mary the Buffalo. I don't know. I called them up. I said, you know, John, you know, John, what's up? We're gonna get together on Tuesday or something. He goes, hey, John, and he goes, Mary and I just wrote a song. I go, really? He goes, yeah. And he put, he set the phone down, and they played Big Star for me. Uh, that they had just written, so I'll always, I'll always remember that moment sitting here listening to him. That literally, five minutes after they wrote that song, so it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, but it's a podcast, right? Like, yeah, uh, you can say whatever you want. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so now, I mean, obviously now the way, you know, the streaming services and everything, you can, you know, talk directly to your fans like you are now and, you know, release the music. I mean, that's got to be, like you just mentioned, far better than the bullshit you went through. It pays a lot less. I, but, yeah. Uh, but it is, it's, uh, it can be better. It is better, especially if you can get over the hump. Right. We're not really over that hump, but boy, if you can, uh, um, you know, get to that next level where you can get the kind of publicity and marketing you need because let's face it in the end record companies were marketing companies to try to tell you what to do artistically which almost always backfired right you know they didn't tell us to do because the night we figured out because the night because and etc 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 you know they told us to do peace training which we ended up taking off the record anyway and <laughs> so all that stuff but uh, but yeah uh, uh, it's you know the only trouble is is that I want to be a, an artist not a businessman right so I don't like this idea that I have to also be and I I, I don't fucking do it Steve does it for yeah. us I, I don't want to be a Facebook master right. a Twitter master an Instagram master and I don't want to do this so, oh, oh, so then I got, we got to hire people to do that which I guess is fine so basically you're your own record company now we were our own record company in 1980 when we right. put out our first record in 83 and it's hard fucking work and it's not the same thing as being an artist uh, so it's uh, <clears throat> eh, you know it's not what I want to do but I, I I like the direct link and I think it's better art. you're allowed to do the music you want you just don't make as much money yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely trade-offs there absolutely yeah but uh, yeah, it's nice having a billion dollar company help you sell records let me tell you yeah exactly i guess sometimes you, 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 yeah you, sometimes yeah. You, you'll deal with the headaches you know if it means yeah. more money right <laughs> yeah well you know just keep putting one foot in front of the other and and that yeah that's what we do you know you do you do you make those little compromises you know i'm not fucking pearl jam or anything you know i mean yeah. we, we tried to be as honest as we could right yeah, I mean, and you guys still tour a ton. Um, you guys uh -huh. still enjoy it as much as you did before? More. Yeah, okay. Yeah, more, you know. Um, we're playing really, really well. We're playing the best we've played in a couple of decades. And, um, you know, we're a lot more sober. We're grown up. Right. Uh, uh, we've got uh, in-ear monitors. We can hear better which was amazing when we got the in-ear monitors. Mm, right. Uh, because it was getting rough, really getting rough. Uh, you know, there's a physical reality to what we do. Uh, and um, it was really good to move, to get more modern and get these monitors. We're playing so much better. Jeffrey's gotten better on guitar. We're, 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 and we're like I said, we're, we're more sober. But we've been, you know, and it's been... Uh, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun because uh, it's like another. It's like a. I don't want to say it's a part-time job, but it's right. it's luxury. It's a luxury now, right? You know, and we're not trying to be the next big thing. We're not trying to squeeze every dime out of it. We can't. We don't. We don't squeeze every dime out of the thing. We can't. You know, if we can take a tour bus and 
do a weekend with a tour bus so it's more comfortable that's what we do if we go a day early so stay in a hotel an extra day we do we don't travel overnight we don't push ourselves right uh, we enjoy playing we make the money we make some money we all have other jobs you know i mean i run a radio station steve runs a theater jeff has a a, a t-shirt art company and you know so forth so you know it's it's a luxury now and a real joy yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about the the radio station. Um, w was it WRFA in Jamestown? That's that's correct. Yeah, yeah. How, how did that come about? That you get to be the you know running in uh, well, like, radio station. You know, like I said, we started in radio. Right. Uh, um, when I was in high school, I I we had a radio show. Uh, we were called Team J's. The local AM station gave the high school like a half an hour on Saturday. You know, it was something an hour, and when we would do a radio show, so I always liked it. You know, I liked radio. I love pop music. I like pop music. I just do. And you know, that's another thing that's about the Maniacs is is we weren't, we didn't hate pop music. We liked pop music. We liked having horns on songs. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a compromise. Uh, anyway, uh, so you know, in the late seventies, we put a radio station on the air in nineteen seventy eight at uh, Jamestown Community College because uh, the opportunity was there. It was my friend, Ed, who is still my friend, and he, and then around 19, when the Maniacs were breaking, when Natalie was leaving the Maniacs in 93, Steve and I tried to, we applied to start a radio station at Jamestown with an FCC license. Um, uh, we didn't get the station. Uh, it became a KISS station. Uh, we didn't get it, but shortly after, about 10 years after that, uh, the government opened up another window for uh, low power radio stations. And I went to the local arts council and, and said, uh, let's start a radio station, because I like that stuff. And uh, and we did, and I uh, have this, we have this, uh, you know, it's, it's two full-time people and a part-time guy and volunteers. And uh, it's mostly educational stuff. I teach at the high school. I teach uh, government and economics okay. as a digital journalism class where the kids do NPR-style radio reports on economics and government. And then I teach a, a sound design class also uh, in the second semester. So it keeps me young. That's great. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, running, obviously, you know, you didn't want to handle the business side with the Maniacs, but now running a radio station, I'm sure there's a lot of business stuff involved as well. Yeah, I fucking hate it. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do radio, and I end up uh, doing business. And right. That's true. It's a great frustration in my life is that when you have ideas, you end up being the business guy. Yeah. Uh, and when you got ideas and you want to do them, somebody's got to fucking do them. Right. Uh, but... Uh, I'm a good writer, so I write grants. Okay. And, uh, I write a lot of grants, and I've been getting grants. But that's, uh, and I don't mind writing the grants, but I'm not a glad hander patting guys on the back, patting used car dealers on the back, trying to get them to give me $400 for, Spot. you know, yeah. underwriting or something. Right, and yeah. that's where, that's the, that's the tough part of the business, and I don't do much of that. But uh, we have great programming, and, uh, I'm uh, 
learning how to make it work. Oh, that's great. How long have you been doing it? 15 years. Oh, wow, okay. That's great. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, now, back to the Maniacs for a second. Um, do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Boy, that's a good question. Whew, first time, hmm. Or if you can't remember, like maybe the most interesting place you heard one of your songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good question, and, and it's kind of mm -hmm. like stupid that after all, after thirty-five thousand interviews, right? I don't have an answer for that. Um, I think that uh, eighty-one, eighty-two. I can't even answer that question. Okay. I don't know when I heard it. I don't know when I ever heard it on a radio, and I know I did. Right. First time I knew somebody played it was when uh, a very okay, he's famous now. His name is Lynn Bramer, and he runs WXRT in Chicago. But he was the music. He was a DJ at a, a station in Albany, New York. Okay. And I sent we sent him the record, and he sent us a note said I played this on our overnight shift. I suppose the biggest important thing that ever happened to us was when John Peel played it on the BBC when he played My Mother the War and My Mother the War became whatever the 28th most popular song of 1983 on his John Peel BBC radio show. Mm -hmm. That was a really big thing for us. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, are you guys going to come perform like New York City, Connecticut anytime soon? We're going to be at City Winery. Okay. Uh, Memorial Memorial Day. We're actually going to play my father's place. Remember the my father's place on Long Island? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Roslyn. It used to be there, yeah. and now it's back in Roslyn. We're going to yeah. play there uh, the Wednesday before Memorial Day weekend and then Thursday and Friday at uh, City Winery. Uh, yeah. We also we, we often play in Fairfield. We just played Mohegan Sun. Yeah, I know. I just missed that. Because um, I, I, I live... Actually, I live like maybe 15 minutes away from Fairfield, and about an hour from Mohegan Sun. Yeah, we're going to play Fairfield. We're trying to put this Fairfield thing together because our friend, uh, uh, we have this plan. Right. We play Fairfield at that, uh, I can't remember what it's called like, now. Uh, FTC or something like that. Yeah, yeah, FT, yeah. FTC, Fairfield Theater Company, and yeah. then the warehouse or something, the bigger room. Right, right. So we, we always sell that out. So we're talking about doing both of them. We're going to try to do two nights. Okay. We're going to do a, 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 an acoustic night in the small theater, then a, and then a, a big night with Hugo Burnham is going to be a DJ. He's going to DJ. He's going to open the show or close the show. He might close the show, actually. Right. Because our friend Hugo from the Gang of Four is a, a, a great friend of ours, and he's uh, he wants to do a DJ set with us. That's great. <laughs> so we'd like to do that. Oh, yeah, hopefully that will work out. I'd love to see it. I'll even hit up you know Roslyn as well as City Winery. City Winery is a great place. I've seen a few shows there. Yeah, you just let me know if you want to come. Yeah, that'd be great. But Dennis, yeah. thank you so much tonight. This this was fantastic, and best of luck with the Maniacs Radio Station and everything. Thank you, Noel. And a special thanks to Dennis for joining me today. 
You can follow the band on Twitter at 10,000maniacs. Their website is maniacs.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel19. Be sure to like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. And if this is your first time listening, welcome, because there'll be something for everybody. And please rate and review the show on iTunes. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. The show's on SoundCloud, it's on Podbean, and it's also on Spotify. On Spotify, just search Reliving My Youth, all one word. Go to tpublic.com for all your Reliving My Youth merchandise, hats, stickers, t-shirts, even onesies. And coming up next week on Reliving My Youth... And so finally, after they, you know, they went to their fifth city or whatever and couldn't find uh, somebody that fit the description, they they brought me in. And and when I read the description and the breakdown, I was like, oh, I'm never fucking getting this. Actor Corin Nemec talks about the role he thought he was never going to get. That's next week on Reliving My Youth. We'll see you next Wednesday.